While you're turning there, you don't have to live very long to realize that life can deliver some wicked blows, some very difficult situations can arise, some inexplainable um, situations that you're not able to identify a cause and effect. There are some things that happen that you are able to identify in your own life. Well, this happened because of this. And, and every one of us in our life can look at various aspects or situations or actions and look at them and say, man, I really blew it there. We all have things of failure that we have to deal with. And sometimes the failures can be overwhelming. Um, sometimes they can be completely debilitating to individuals. Sometimes people carry those with them throughout their life and it's like it it kind of undermines everything else about their life it it taints everything of their life and and it may be personal no one else may know about it but it's there and that failure's eating at them <clears throat> and in in that every one of us as individuals need to understand God's perspective from this. And really, it's easy for us to lose the message of the book of Ezra, but the book of Ezra is written to show us that, that God does not discard His chosen when they fail. I mean, Israel failed miserably. And that's why they were in bondage. It was the judgment of God that came upon them because they turned away from God. They, they were a miserable failure. And, and yet, God made promises to Israel and because of their failure, He did not say, I'm done with you. We've all had situations in our life where we've probably said in our minds, I'm done with you. And, and yet, the book of Ezra is about God rebuilding from failure. You know, there's, there's many instances of individuals saying, looking back and saying, parents saying, I failed my kids. And, and some never are able to get over that. Um, it is a very real issue in life of learning to respond to failure. And as I said, God's reason for bringing back the children of Israel, as we read in Ezra, after... Jerusalem had been destroyed and they were taken in bondage and lived 70 years in bondage and, 
And now God is bringing them back. It'd been easy for them to say, we're just losers. I mean, we've lost our whole nation, our whole identity. But the reason of this rebuilding is because of God's loyal love, His compassion and pity. And and rebuilding is often more difficult than starting from scratch. Those Those that have done much remodeling or construction work know when you remodel something, you don't know if anything's level, if it's square, if uh, why is uh, this one end longer than this end, and so on. And, and you run into you tear things open and you think, oh man, I didn't know half of this was rotted. And it's much easier to start brand new than it is to rebuild. And in life, sometimes we think, man, I wish there was a redo. I don't really want to go back and redo, but um, there's certain things that in life you say, I wish I could go back and undo this or redo this. And yet God is able to meet us where we're at, and He is committed to rebuilding. And... In this message of Ezra, I want us to, to not just get caught up in the, the storyline of it. And it is incredible what, what God has done here, and the story is incredible. And you will be going into more detail in that in, um, in your studies tonight. But this is... This is about God rebuilding Israel, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding worship, rebuilding His glory. And um, it's an incredible testimony of the working of God. So we want to look this morning at four principles of rebuilding. And in any rebuilding, you have to, first of all, the first principle is to realize with God, nothing is impossible. In chapter 1 and verse 1, Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation saying to all the children of Israel, I'm giving you and urging you to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And you would read the, about Cyrus and you might think, man, he was, a, he was a really godly man. Cyrus was a politician. He knew his audience. He knew to the Jews you'd want to praise the God of Israel. And he did. But history tells us to other people he would... Say, pray to Moloch. And, and he would say, uh, this false god, he didn't call him a false god, but this false god gave us the victory in these battles. Um, I use the term, he was a good politician, all right? 
He said to the people what they wanted to hear, but it was God that moved on his heart. Do you understand? This is, this is incredible. Cyrus was, as he said here, God has given me the, the kingdoms of the land. And this is a powerful ruler that this wasn't natural. This wasn't typical political action to be taken. In fact, most kings would make sure people couldn't go back to their homeland because they feared rebellion. So this was God moving on the heart. And not only moving on the heart, but of Cyrus, but moving on the heart of 50,000 people that would go back. <clears throat> and this going back is, is no simple thing. They have been living in Babylon. They had set up home there. They were comfortable there. And they then chose to leave that and travel through a desert land, I mean, this wasn't, this wasn't traveling in a scenic area in a, in a nice air-conditioned vehicle. This, they knew what they were in for to travel. And hundreds of miles that they'd travel, and it took a long time. And um, in their mind, they were going back to a city that their last recollection was it was in ruins, it was on fire, it was destroyed. So, it had to be God. There wasn't anything really in it for themselves. And, and God moved upon the hearts of people. And, and then, I liked how it says here, those that were around them encouraged them with the gold and silver. You know, there were people then that were willing to give their gold and silver. I'm not going, but here, I'll help support you. I'll give you this gold and silver. So, picture in your mind, these are all impossible things, except with God. And you may look at things in your life and you may think There's impossible, it's impossible for anything good to come out of this except for God. And God specializes in rebuilding. And it's important that we understand with God, nothing is impossible. I'm not going to take the time to, to go into all the other details in the book of Ezra, but in any rebuilding, it must be a focus on God. It must be a faith in God and a faith that I serve a God with whom nothing is impossible. All things are possible with God. But then we need to realize too in any aspect of rebuilding, that God works through authorities, even wicked ones. In shaping Israel as an instrument to be a blessing to the world, God used many different instruments 
And some of those were very wicked rulers. We mentioned Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes were rulers that God used them to make decrees. God used them to search out and find out truths. God used these wicked rulers to accomplish His purpose. Each of these men, Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, issued a decree that God had inspired as fully as He inspired Isaiah or the other prophets. And it reminds us that God turned the hearts of these kings in the direction He wanted to go. And Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and He turns it wherever He wants it to go. We say, who's, who's calling the shots for our president? Well, if you really knew and you went all the way back, it's God. And you say, how can that be? They are so blah, blah, blah. God's will is done even through the most wicked rulers. And a God accomplishes purposes. And, and it's beyond us. But God works through authorities. And it's, it, throughout this account, it's, it's clearly evident. The king commanded the children of Israel to go back to Jerusalem. They went back to Jerusalem. They started working. And then we'll see in a little bit, um, another king ordered them to stop. And then another king got in and looked and saw, well, wait a minute. Originally, a king told them that they ought to be doing this. And in the midst of all this, the children of Israel made an appeal to their authority and said, we're doing this because we were given this command back then. You go and check the records. And they made an appeal to their authorities. You cannot be right with God and wrong with your authorities unless your authorities are asking you to disobey God. But God always works through authorities. God will not bless a rebellious spirit. And in our lives, when, when we are attempting to rebuild, if we have a rebellious spirit to authorities in our life, our rebuilding is not going to go well. I mean, God raises up authorities. He's, he's raised up the first, first institution God's raised up is the family. And He said, if you don't honor your father and mother, things will not go well with you. In understanding, you need to be rightly related to your parents. There needs to be that proper relationship. That's the authority thing. Another institution that he raised up was government. We're not just free to go do whatever we want. We need to have a proper relationship with our government. Another institution that he raised up is the church and to be properly related to authorities. 
But throughout our life, God also raised up in, in business, in communities. I don't want to belabor the point, but we need to be properly related to our authorities, and that involves learning how to make a proper appeal. I don't have time to go into it this morning, but making, learning how to make a proper appeal to authorities is something every one of us as, as believers, followers of Christ, should know how to do for the glory of God. To be known as a rebellious spirit is not lining up with God. So throughout the book of Ezra, you see God's handprint all over it. God works through authorities. But in any rebuilding situation, you have to understand God's work always faces opposition. God's work always faces opposition. In chapter 3, they got back to Jerusalem. They built an altar so that they could offer sacrifices to God and established worship. And then they started to lay the foundation for the temple. And as they laid the foundation for the temple, you notice in chapter 3 and verse 12, But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. Here's the picture. The people that had been around to see the old temple, when they saw the foundation of this new temple, they said, this ain't nothing like the old temple. And they wept in sorrow. On the other hand, there were these that hadn't necessarily seen the old temple, and they were so excited, and they said, We are back in our land. We are reestablishing worship. We are reestablishing the temple. Praise God. And they no more than said, praise God, and one of the old boys said, this ain't nothing like it used to be. Back in the good old days, you want to see what a real temple was? You better go back there. I don't know why you're so excited. And immediately a negative spirit started creeping in. When you start to rebuild in your life, there will be negative spirits that show up. And it may come from yourself. I don't know why, why I'm trying this. It's going to fail anyway. God's work always has opposition. And it began with negativity. And then, chapter 4 it goes in, it, it went on attempted infiltration. The enemies of the children of Israel came and said, Hey! Let us come and help you. Let us join hands together with you. 
And God gave the leaders of the children of Israel wisdom and said, wait a minute. You don't have the same priorities we have. You don't have the same objectives we have. You don't have the same God that we have. Nope, you have no part in it. Satan loves to do anything he can to mess up God's work. If it's negativity, if it's infiltration. So the adversary said, okay, we'll, we'll come at him another way. We'll, we'll make things difficult for them. You can read in chapter 4. They made things difficult to the point that the children of Israel were discouraged. It says in verse 4 of chapter 4. They tried to discourage the people of the children of Israel. There will be times when you are rebuilding in your life, rebuilding your walk with God, rebuilding uh, your marriage, rebuilding other things in your life, that things will not go well. And you will be tempted to be discouraged. You need to understand that's a tool of opposition by Satan. What good is this doing? I don't see any fruit of it yet. So, that happened here. There was opposition. Then they started speaking evil of the children of Israel. They raised up false reports and had rumors. Have you ever had opposition in your life where people have been speaking evil of you? Where false reports are given? Where rumors are spread? Those things are devices of Satan to hinder rebuilding. Remember, God's work always faces opposition. If, if there is no opposition in your life, you're probably not doing anything for God. There comes opposition. Every step forward for God is a contested step. So God's work always faces opposition. So they spread evil reports. They spoke evil. They appealed to the government. And now came the final opposition Government intervention. The government came and said, you have to stop building. So, here it was. The government was against them even. In this rebuilding process, they faced opposition. But God's work done in God's way will never lack God's provision. And throughout the book of Ezra, you see this over and over again. God's work, God prophesied that the children of Israel will come back. How is that ever going to happen? Well, God provided a King Cyrus that he moved upon his heart. He commanded it to happen. Well, we don't have the resources to do it. The king provided and other people provided. Well, how are we going to get there? God provided. As they got there, they faced opposition, but God gave them victory over opposition. Government opposition came, but God opened it up to them so that the government then commanded them 
to do what they were to do. And it says in, in Ezra chapter 4 and verses 14 through 16, they built, they prospered, and they finished according to the command of the God of Israel. They built, they prospered, and they finished the building of the temple according to the command of Israel. But it's easy for us to read this and not realize from the time they came back and started building to the time that they finished building was 16 years. How many of us get weary? Well, we don't see things happening or we're facing this opposition and we give up. It's easy for us to read this in one sitting, chapter 3, chapter 4. They started building, they finished the building, and it was good. No, there were 16 years. You're living your life, you're thinking, I'm not seeing anything happen. The children of Israel, we've been stopped now for all these days, these months, these years. I don't see God doing anything. Maybe it wasn't God leading us back here. Maybe we shouldn't continue. It, it took. Time It took the working of God. And in God's time, God provides His strength. He provides His resources. He provides His grace. And when it's God's will, nothing can stop it. It will be done. The key is when it is God's will. It took 21 years from initially... Their highs and lows to be done to the glory of God. I mean, it's easy for us to look and, and see all these high points of the Bible and not realize there were people that were faithful to God when there weren't high points. And rebuilding doesn't happen overnight. We think God's, God's going to rebuild and boom, everything will be back to normal and everything will be good. No. That's why I said in Hebrews 10.36, you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you will receive the reward. In other words, you did the will of God. Now you need patience that... You're trusting God that you will receive the reward for it. So, I, I want to quickly make some application here. We started our service this morning singing the song, My Hope is in the Lord. The first principle we said is, with God, nothing is impossible. The first question we need to ask ourselves of application is, is my confidence truly in God? Or is it in my ability? Is it in other people's abilities? If it's in my ability, I will fail. If it's in other people's ability, they will fail. We will become overwhelmed with discouragement. Because only God can do an eternal work and only God can rebuild. 
Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And so, in, in understanding, we need to ask, is my confidence only in God? Or am I trusting my money? Am I trusting the government? I think you should have learned by now that that's vain. But in understanding, often our, our trust is in other things. And sometimes we, we grab ourselves and give ourselves a good talking to. You can do this. You just need to try a little harder. No, you can't do it. It's God that has to do the work in you. And that dependence must be on God. Then we ask, in my rebuilding, am I in proper relationship with my authorities? Do I have a rebellious spirit? Am I in a proper relationship with my authorities? Would my authorities, would my boss at work say that I have a good attitude and I'm in a proper relationship? Am I in a proper relationship in my family, in my home? Then thirdly, how am I responding to opposition? Man, nothing turns out right that I do. In any, anything good, there comes opposition. And you need to go into life, you need to go into the Christian life, you need to live life expecting opposition and almost... I'm swinging the pendulum too far, but let me back up. We've got too many whiny Christians that, oh, nothing goes right for me, and no use trying. Well, did you not expect an opposition? Did you think putting on the armor of God was just for marching in a parade so you'd look good? This is war we're in. What do you expect in a war? I mean, this is, Satan is out to devour you. He's out to kill you. He's out to deceive you. So we need to say, man, I, I need to get in the power of God and bring on the opposition. Yes, this is discouraging, but I'm going to go encourage myself in the Lord. Yes, they are speaking evil, but... I have a clear conscience before God. Understanding, once you commit to rebuilding whatever area it is of your life, once you commit to that, you need to expect opposition. And you need to respond to it biblically. We ask this question. Am I doing God's work? We said, God's work done in God's ways will not lack God's supplies. Am I doing God's work? Why, why do I want this rebuilt? Is it for my pleasure, my comfort, or is it for God's glory? Is it for my name and my reputation? I look bad, so I want this rebuilt, whatever it is. Or is it about God? Am I doing God's work? 
And am I doing it in God's ways? That's why you need to be a student of the Word so that you know what is God's way. See, we sometimes get the idea that I can go along in life and I fail, but I say, oh well, I'll try again and I can just keep going on. No, with every failure, there must be a process of confessing my sin, my wrongdoing. And confessing means I agree with God. God, I was wrong here. I was not seeing it from your perspective. I confess my sin before you. And, and then to repent, not just keep going on and say, yep, I did it. That's not confession. It's then turning back and it's going back and getting on the right path where we departed. And part of getting on the right path means that we seek forgiveness from other people that we were involved with, that our wrongdoing affected them. So we go to God, and Paul said, I do always this, to have a conscience void of offense before God and man. So my wrongdoing, I go to God first of all, and I seek His forgiveness, and I make it right. This is the rebuilding process. And then, if it's affected others, then I come back to them and I say, I was wrong in what I did. Name the sin. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Then you can have a clear conscience before God and men. That's what it means to be blameless. Blameless doesn't doesn't mean you never do anything wrong. Blameless means you have a clear conscience. You, when you've done wrong, you've tried to make it right and sought forgiveness. Then you're in a place of blessing. Then you're in a place that, that God is able to help rebuild, that God is able to step in with His power. And then we have our Full dependence on God. So here I've failed. I confess to God. I repent, turn back. I make things right with others. And now I go on with the renewed dependence on God. God, I need Your power. I need Your wisdom. Apart from You, I will fall off the road again. And apart from You, I will. all I can do is fail and a renewed dependence and trust upon God. And then you can rest in God's provisions. Regardless of your failure, God is committed to rebuilding. And He has all power to do it. And this truth ought to give hope to every one of us. Give, gives hope when our good causes fall to pieces. Give Gives hope when God's servants fail. Gives hope when we make a mess of things. Why? Because God is still on the throne. He is the one that, as we sang a moment ago, will hold us fast. His everlasting love will continue to work in our lives and forgive. 
And no matter how a Christian may have failed in the past, God will still use that individual and desires to use that individual if we turn from our sin, turn to Him, walk in His ways, and God can be mightily glorified through our failure. Look at the Bible. Who has God used? And those people He's used, often it's through their failure. So don't, don't let Satan say, you're a failure, you'll be a second-rate Christian, God can't use you, God can't glorify you. That's a lie from Satan. God can be mightily glorified. The children of Israel were, were utter failures. But God showed His power, brought them back, worked through the authorities, gave them strength and victory over opposition, and supplied everything they needed. And God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think that there may be glory to God in our lives and in the church. That's what God wants to do. He wants to rebuild. So don't settle for mediocre in your life. Don't settle for second rate. Say, God, I want to know You. I'm going to pursue You if it takes 16 years or 21 years or 50 years, or I'm going to die pursuing You no matter what. Because I believe that you are able. I don't know what it is God's asking you to rebuild in your life, but I know He wants to take our failures, take our miserable disappointments, and He wants them to turn to be turned for His glory. In just a moment, we're going to sing the song, He is able more than able. To accomplish what concerns me today. I can just picture the children of Israel as they're working to lay the foundation singing that song. And in your life, God is able more than able. Heavenly Father, I pray that Your Spirit would minister in a personal way in our lives. Lord, I don't know the failures. I don't know the regrets that may be represented here today, but God, I know You, and I know You are able to rebuild. Even as You did with the children of Israel, and as we'll continue in our study on that, but Lord, I rejoice that there is nothing too hard for You. And I pray that You would encourage hearts today. Lord, I pray that there would be confession. I pray that there would be turning to You. I pray that we would take steps where necessary to clear our conscience and make things right. And Lord, I pray that we would make it that our hope is only in You. That we would have a uh, relentless dependence upon You and Your power. So, Lord, we plead Your mercies. We thank You that You are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask. And, Lord, I pray for individuals that have never called upon You for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, I pray today they'd understand that's where the rebuilding begins. 
and that they would come to you for your mercy of forgiveness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.